Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Suchitra Matai, a multidisciplinary artist of Indo-Caribbean descent. Her work explores how collective and individual memory in the space of myth and folklore allow us to unravel and reimagine colonial histories and narratives. Using both her own family's history and her research of colonial indentured labor during the 19th century, she seeks to expand our sense of history. Suchitra received an MFA in painting and drawing and an MA in South Asian art from the University of Pennsylvania. Recent and upcoming exhibitions include solo exhibitions at the ICA San Francisco and Kavi Gupta Gallery in Chicago, and group exhibitions at the MCA Chicago, Crystal Bridges Museum, the Art Gallery of Ontario, to name a few. Suchitra's works are represented in collections which include Crystal Bridges Museum of Art, the Denver Art Museum, and the Tampa Museum of Art. Suchitra Matai is represented by Kavi Gupta Gowry. Enjoy this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Suchitra, thank you so much for joining me today on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Phyllis. I'm really excited to chat with you. Let's dive in with you sharing with me and my listeners. When did you discover your artistic passion? Well, I've always wanted to be an artist. And I actually learned recently by rereading one of my books that my parents would put together from when I was a child, as a baby. And my father, in his uh, sort of West Indian way, said that all I wanted to do was scratch on paper, which to translate would be to draw. So I think since I was two onwards, I've always been most excited about art making. So early on, do you recall if there was a particular artist that influenced you? You know, when I was really young, I didn't have a lot of artists around me. And I didn't grow up in an environment where we went to lots of museums or you know, I didn't have access in the same way, but my parents did have one friend, a very good friend who was an artist and he was a painter. And to be honest, watching him do what he did, did sort of, you know, in a way show me that someone could be an artist. How would you define your practice? And when did you decide to work with the materials that you work with? I have reinvented myself many times. I have gone through different jobs, different studies uh, since about 2003, when I finished graduate school, I really defined myself as a painter. And so I tried to fit myself into this kind of Western norm and 
saw myself mostly in line with Western historical painters. And so recently, probably about 2016, 2017, I totally reinvented my practice and brought it back to a place where I felt it started. You know, I, I learned to sew and embroider and crochet from my grandparents, my grandmothers, and my mom. And I was always shy to bring that into my work. And when I kind of realized that the work I was making was not the work that I wanted to make and share and communicate, I really grew excited about using those materials and practices. Are there concepts or thoughts that have always connected the art? For me, as an immigrant, as a woman, I've always wanted to communicate that really disorienting feeling that I've always felt, and I think a lot of immigrants feel, when you live between multiple cultural spheres. So, you know, you're one person outside of the home, you're a totally different person inside of the home. And so this kind of multiple sort of people that you have to be makes life very disorienting. And that's something that has been at the heart of all the artwork that I've made, you know, since I was young. But uh, more recently, I have been doing a lot of research on the history of indentured labor in the Caribbean, because that's the history of my own family. And so thinking about post-colonial ideas and reimagining history to be inclusive. Those are things that I I think about through my work. In your current body of work, explain to us the process and the materials and like how long or how long does it take you to complete one of these huge works that you create? So I, I make things that are small and I make things that are large and everything in between. And there's so many processes and materials that I use that it really depends. But I think that what you're referring to are the large-scale tapestries. Yes. And yeah, these are made out of uh, vintage uh, saris. And I start by collecting them from India, from my family, from friends, and they're cut into strips and then woven into rope net. And so there's a grid behind them that serves as the sort of base for this work. You know, depending on size, they they take quite a they take quite some time. But I'm a very frenetic maker, and I just get so excited that if I'm really into a project, I will just you know I'm not going to say stay up all night because I I can't really do that anymore. But uh, you know, stay up and work hours and hours each day to complete it because. I think as an artist, you have sometimes these visions of the way you might want something to be. For me, I really work intuitively. So I really let the materials kind of speak for themselves and speak to me. And so I don't always know how it's going to end. So it's like a story that unfolds. And that's what keeps it really exciting for me. But in terms of the time and the materials and the process, every type of work that I do sort of embodies a whole different process, right? So so I make collages with found materials and painting. Those operate and are made very quickly, whereas the tapestries are, are definitely more um, 
time consuming and embroidery as well. And of course, painting. So on a larger scale. So it really, it really depends, but I, I love having a large tapestry, you know, like being in the midst of a large tapestry while also making this other work. And I think having this sort of diverse mixed media practice allows me to move between not just scale, but speed. And that's really exciting for me because I think when you're involved in these longer, larger projects, sometimes they feel, you know, you're excited, but you, you, they're, they feel daunting as well. So having these smaller works and these other processes to kind of bounce back and forth between is a really nice way that I've set up my practice for me. What motivates you or what inspires you to paint versus work with the fabrics? You know, I think that we don't, you know, maybe in the art world speak about this enough, but I sometimes have a vision for something that uh, I want to make. And it just comes to me and I might be in, in the process of making something else, but I'm particularly excited about the, you know, the new project. And then I allow myself the freedom to actually create that new project. And so that's why I'm sort of moving in between. You know, it's about inspiration and inspiration comes as as we all say, when you least expect it and when you don't expect it. And so I, when I say my practice is intuitive, it's really about dreaming and allowing yourself the kind of luxury of making what's motivating you at the moment. And of course, you know, there are schedules and there are deadlines and there, there are all of these other things that come in between. But for the most part, I really allow myself that freedom. And I think the most important aspect of my practice is that I allow that kind of freedom to follow intuition because that allows me to make with the most level of experimentation. And I feel like it makes work that I feel is true and authentic and unhinged. So what does your studio look like and feel like? So most of my life, I had a very small studio and I recently moved to LA and, you know, a lot of friends of mine have always talked about investing in your practice. And so I decided that I would go big and I have the most amazing studio. It has like 20 foot high ceilings. It's a corner studio. So lots of windows, lots of light. And I just hired a new assistant who is helping me put it together in a really beautiful way. So, you know, for example, I always had, I have these, you know, hundreds of saris that are, that are around me, right? And I used to have these very messy bins, you know, they would start organized by color and, and whatnot. And now we've kind of very elegantly folded them and put, put them in these beautiful piles of colors. And as a result, I can see what I'm using and it's amazing. Like, so it's, it's both, um, organized and chaotic in its own way because when I start making, it gets a little crazy. Like you, I'll take pictures sometimes of what I'm working on to share and all the pieces of saris will be like just everywhere. I, I start walking around and I have, you know, fiber in my hair and whatnot. So it's for now, it's very organized and very beautiful. And I hope to, to keep it this way. But yes, I'm in my, what I would consider my dream studio. So I feel very grateful to be here. So do you listen to music while you're working? Oh boy, yes. So 
I listen to all types of music. So yes, I do. Um, not always, but, you know, and I listen to everything, ev- like every kind of music, including Bollywood, you know, and, and and whatnot. So I find that I'm best when I I have that, I guess I have that kind of freedom of, of I guess the creative spirit is what I'm thinking about. But I feel as though my creative spirit is most rejuvenated and excited, you know, excited when I am listening to music. So yes, it's very much a part of my practice. My kids tease me sometimes because I can listen to the same music sometimes a little too frequently. But other than that, I I really do love, I do love listening to all kinds of music. What do you enjoy most about being a visual artist? Well, I think the word that encapsulates it for me is really this idea of just feeling free. The idea that I can wake up and make whatever I want to make is truly freeing for the soul. And I feel as though, you know, most of my life, I I wasn't able to do this for various reasons. And, you know, now I kind of had a rebirth when I, I described that 2016, 2017, when I sort of rethought my whole studio practice, I really wanted it in the reinvention to be everything that I could ever dream it to be. And because I waited so long, it was really important for me to have it be free. And I think, yeah, when I when I think of, of the practice that I want and the practice that I currently am lucky enough to have, this idea of freedom is really embedded within it. And I think there were many years of my life when I was too sick to work. And again, now that I am able to, I feel really, really grateful. And I'm, I think this idea of just being able to get up, to think through an idea visually, when that's what my strength is, I think that that is, that is truly beautiful. And I feel like a lot of artists, you know, feel this way too, that you, our environment, our world, our communities don't often accept the idea that you should just be as an artist, right? Like you have, you kind of have to um, go through all these different hoops and and whatnot. But when you're an artist, you're you're kind of always an artist. And this idea that you can just be be that is really exciting to me. Have you ever thought about what other career choice, what other career path you would have chosen if you weren't an artist? It's funny that you should ask that because while I don't think that there's anything else that I would want to do, I have had other careers in my past. So I have a degree in statistics and my parents really thought I was going to be this amazing actuary, which never transpired because because I'm an artist. So, you know, I, again, I come from this sort of very um, practical immigrant family and the idea that one could be an artist was just not acceptable. And so then Afterwards, I, you know, I never did anything with that degree, but I also thought, okay, well, maybe I'll do art history because that way I'm close to the, that beautiful thing that is art, but that I can still imagine me having a job as my parents really wanted me to have. And so I went and studied art history as well. So I guess, yes, I've, I've kind of meandered through my educational choices, but ultimately there is no other job for me. When you're creating, do you think about who your audience is? This is something that I I do think about a lot. Like 
whether I should or not, but I don't. And the reason for this is because I'm telling stories about people who were able to share their stories before, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm South Asian, I'm Caribbean and American. And when I tell my stories, I think sometimes it's, it's complicated and complex and people don't really understand at first where I'm coming from. But what I feel, and I, I really do feel this to be true, is that stories have to be personal. And even if they're personal, particular, idiosyncratic, that they can be universal, right? They're your stories that you're telling these specific stories. But I guess my challenge for myself is how do I take those very particular stories that are layered with different cultural entities and then make them universal? And so I guess to answer your question about audience, I don't think very specifically, like, will somebody understand what this is? Like, does it matter that they know what a sari is? Does, does it matter if they know what a bindi is? And I don't think it does. I think ultimately I'm using these materials because they're very specific to my story and the story of my family, but there's an emotive quality to the, to my work that I, uh, that I feel is perhaps like the essence of it. And that's universal. So I don't feel as though I want to tailor the work for anyone. I want it to be kind of this sort of purely emotive work that tells stories. And, and even if they're specific, even if they're strange and different, I think that just makes you, I mean, that's what I would hope that that would make someone just want to understand it more. How do you keep learning? I think part of the reason why I use so many different materials is because every time you embark on a different medium, you have to train yourself and you have to learn. So, if, you know, sometimes I've used, for example, I'm a much more tactile person. I paint, I draw, I weave, I embroider, but I've used video before, for example. And, you know, I had to train myself how to map images onto different surfaces, for example. And again, when you use these different materials, you are forced to learn something new. And, and I think that's how I keep it exciting for myself. I guess I, I consider myself an experimenter, right? That I, I basically sit in my studio and dream up new ways to learn new things. And I think for a lot of artists, we want to keep our practice exciting and, and, you know, learning new mediums is one way that I do it. So what are you excited about now? Oh my gosh, there's so many things. There's a project that I'm going to be doing at the ICA San Francisco that I'm very excited about. I've dreamed of this one project for about two years, and I'm so excited to create it. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about it, but sometimes I make things very immediately and sometimes, you know, things take planning. And, and as a result, I feel as though after waiting two years, I just can't wait to see it in person transpires. So, um, but yeah, in terms of other projects, I have some group exhibitions coming up and yeah, just different. I'm, I'm just excited to keep working and, and also taking some time because I had three solos this year and I feel as though, even though you benefit from kind of moving forward and thinking quickly and making, I think there's also benefit in resting and, and slowing down a little bit. So. 
I love working. So even when I say I'm going to rest, it doesn't really it doesn't really happen. And working keeps me healthy. And I think that's the, that's that's that would be accurate for a lot of artists that we work through trauma and we work through our own issues by making. So rest is not necessarily something that's always in our vocabulary. So this is our final question. What do you feel is the purpose of art? And as an artist, what is your role? That's a really good question. I I think that art is ultimately about communication. You know, we have these feelings that we can't necessarily put words to. We have ideas that are about community, about uh, the social, about the political, that we, again, can't always put words to. And art is a language that allows us to communicate in a different way. And so ultimately, yes, it's about communication, but on a, in, a, in a personal way, for me, it's about storytelling. And I don't think everyone's art is about storytelling. There's so many reasons to make art and to have your art, so many ways in which your art can communicate. But for me, it's really about telling, again, these stories of women, of you know people whose voices weren't heard before and about sharing their experiences and about people realizing, understanding, and kind of accepting that there is difference and that we can respect all those differences. Thank you for your time. This has been a delightful interview. Thanks, Phyllis. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. 